You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. A North Korean cyber espionage campaign targets universities, think tanks, and foreign ministries. Chinese cyber spies go after the healthcare sector. A bug hunter discloses a zero day for Steam. Updates on the Texas ransomware attacks. Adult sites leak user information. And Veracruz fans hack their president's Twitter account to express their displeasure. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Bennett Moe, filling in again for Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Thursday, August 22, 2019. Researchers at Anomaly report finding an active North Korean cyber espionage campaign directed against universities, think tanks, and foreign ministries. The infection method is phishing, with a malicious payload taking victims to fake websites. In some instances, the bogus websites masqueraded as login pages for government diplomatic portals. The threat group is thought to be connected to Pyongyang's missile program. FireEye has described ongoing cyber espionage directed against the healthcare sector. The researchers associate the campaign with the Chinese government. It seems to have two goals. First, the operators are interested in simply acquiring large quantities of personal information, a goal many such campaigns have. The more you have on people, so the thinking goes, particularly among services that devote themselves to large-scale unfocused collection, the likelier you are to be able to turn them into assets. And second, the campaign appears to be particularly interested in cancer research. This would seem to represent a phase in long-standing efforts to acquire valuable intellectual property. A researcher has disclosed a second zero-day vulnerability in Valve's Steam platform. The issue is thought to affect more than 96 million users worldwide. There's a bug bounty angle to this story. The researcher who found and reported the flaw, Vasily Kravets, had disclosed an earlier bug to Valve under the company's bug bounty program. Valve decided the privilege escalation problem wasn't serious enough to patch and declined to pay Kravets. User outrage, and as you know, gamers can be a touchy crowd, induced Valve to move a patch out quickly, only to suffer further embarrassment when a different feature showed that the patch was easy to work around. Anyway, disappointed with Valve's reception, one that included banning him from the bug bounty program, Kravets decided to simply take his recent discovery to the public. A few updates on the ransomware infestation in the Lone Star State. Detailed information about the coordinated ransomware attack that hit local government targets in Texas last Friday remains sparse, but Ars Technica and Wired have compilation of what's known so far. The number of affected organizations has been fixed at 23. The attacks did come from a single source that authorities declined to name. 
The affected organizations also haven't been named, but the names of a few of the local governments have emerged as some of the locals are being less tight-lipped than the state officials. Lubbock County, population 279,000, one of the larger units, seems to have ridden out the attack with the least damage. The smaller towns of Borger, population 13,000, Kaufman, 6,700 inhabitants, Keene, home to 6,500, and Wilmer, with 3,600 people, struggled a bit more. The mayor of Keene says the attackers demanded a total of $2.5 million from all of their victims. Ransomware in general has gone up this year. Estimates of its increase range from IBM's low of 116% to Malwarebytes high of 365%. Criminals continue to find local governments as attractive targets. Licensed Spectrum presents its own security challenges. Today's guest, Stuart Cantor, CFO and founder of Ondis Networks, talks with Dave about the ins and outs of securing licensed spectrum. So today we're going to be talking about critical infrastructure and wireless spectrum. Can you give us a little bit of the background sort of leading up to where we are today and where things stand, where we find ourselves? As we have all know, we've been all adopting wireless technology at a rapid pace. I think if we rolled back the clock to the mid-1980s, you would see mostly that the technology out there was on the wireless side was heavily cordless phones, right? That was the great innovation in the 80s. And then along with cellular technology, introducing analog versions in the late 80s and early 90s, and then digital wireless technology, which ballooned in the 90s, what we've seen is an ever-increasing, I'd say, grab for wireless spectrum to offer voice and data services. And so where have the the pressures been to assign that spectrum to all of the different organizations who would like to use it? How has that process played out? Well, initially to stimulate the markets, the spectrum was awarded to different parties with the idea that they were going to put the spectrum to use for the public benefit. In the early 90s, an idea in the United States came about, which was we can sell this these frequencies to the highest bidder and that will drive an economic model where more services will be delivered so there's been an evolution in thought behind the public airwaves which is to auction them in an economic model uh, where people would compete and then for the spectrum and then offer services that has had a dramatic impact on the evolution of how the airwaves are used and who controls them. And we see that being played out every day. And so now what has happened, and this is heavily in the United States, you see this bifurcation between what they call unlicensed frequencies, so your Wi-Fi and Bluetooth, uh, which are really sort of personal area networks, and then your wide area networks, which are heavily controlled by the uh, major wireless operators. Now, when it comes to critical infrastructure and their usage of spectrum, who are the heavy hitters here? Who are the folks who who are uh, really dependent on the spectrum here? The FCC has come up with a definition of critical infrastructure, and in our opinion, it's fairly limited. It has pretty much been first responders and to some extent, some transportation as folding under critical infrastructure. Pretty much everybody else is not included, but 
If you were to meet with a lot of our customers, the oil and gas suppliers, the electric utilities, the water utilities, they would all make an argument that they should fall under critical infrastructure. But today, it's very separated and it's very limited in the description. In terms of looking towards the future, obviously there's a lot of excitement about 5G coming. How do you see that playing out and how does that play into the kind of things that you all are working on? Right, so 5G is an interesting evolution in cellular networks, but I think going back to one of the things I discussed early on, if you think about the evolution of wireless networks starting back in the, the mid to late 80s, it was really very limited voice traffic, very not a lot of capacity. As the networks evolved, they became digital to get more voice traffic over those same channels, and then the evolution to data networks. So 5G, I think one of the things I try to tell people is that a lot of these numbers and letters sound exciting, but it really often comes back to two issues, capacity and coverage. So that's really been the game that the wireless industry has been focused on since its inception, which is getting, making sure you have coverage so people can use the devices and then adding more capacity. And so I think the general excitement I think from a carrier perspective is that 5G allows them to push more capacity to their users. So you, they, the users will effectively be able to see much higher throughput and potentially even it will compete with the cable operators that are delivering high-speed video to your home. So in some ways, it's my opinion that 5G is really a race for consumer data traffic, high bandwidth to the the consumer market. That's Stuart Cantor, CFO and co-founder of Ondis Networks. So here are a few more reasons not to do something you knew better than to do in the first place. And what would that be? Downloading, and what somehow seems worse, uploading, adult content from and to a niche adult site. VPN mentor researchers say they found one such site, Luscious, is leaky. That is, Data on the roughly 1 million registered users could reveal information such as usernames, personal email addresses, user activity logs, country of residence, and gender. Luscious specializes in risque hentai, the researchers at VPN Mentor noticed in the course of their entirely work-related studies. One bit of information the researchers noticed was that a lot of the users registered using their official government email accounts. A pro tip, otaku, it's rarely a good idea for civil servants to sign up for fan service with your work email. The nations most heavily represented among luscious users are Germany and France. Either Canada or Australia leads the English-speaking world. Canada's on top, but it's not clear how many of its users might be francophones from Quebec or the Maritimes, and that introduces the uncertainty. We offer some free advice to our audience. What happens on a website doesn't necessarily stay on that website. It's not like Vegas. It's not even like Atlantic City. And finally, ESPN reports that impassioned and evidently very disappointed fans of Veracruz's losing football side have hacked the club's president's Twitter account because he's, quote, tarnishing the badge, and because doing so is their first step in, quote, taking back their club. This would seem to represent a new variety of hacktivism. Perhaps hacking by enraged, long-suffering fans of sports teams deserves its own name. Feel free to send us your suggestions. And please, sports fans, don't emulate the Veracruz supporters. If protest you must, consider wearing a paper bag with eye holes or something like that. 
And yes, Baltimore Orioles fans, we're looking at you. Come on, the birds are rebuilding. Don't foul the nest. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And joining me once again is Emily Wilson. She's the VP of Research at Terbium Labs. Emily, it's always great to have you back. Um, we had an article come by. This was from CyberScoop. It's titled, Phishing Kits are Licensed, Managed, and Pirated Like Any Other Legitimate Software. This is written by Shannon Vavra. What do you make of this? So I think this is a really interesting development and sign of maturation in the dark web fraud economy. Hmm. There's an expectation now that some of the materials that people are creating are are intellectual property, you know, right? The article talks about licensing fees and expectations that people will will use this and not share it around. We see that developing in more and more materials. Um, one example that comes to mind is some of the fraud guides. You know, I did some research earlier this year looking at these fraud guides, these manuals on how to do crime. And a lot of them contain things like referral links, the same way as you might see for a social media influencer. Others contained... Um, copyrights or warnings not to share the information, don't distribute it. And of hmm. course, this same guide with all of these warnings and all of these copyrights would show up in, you know, six or seven different mega packs of guides. So of course they're being widely distributed. No one's going to to follow that. But the idea that there's this instinct in here to say, hey, don't share this around or don't don't sell this off to anybody else, you know, make them come to me to get it, I think is a really interesting setup for for illicit activity. Is that the the ego of some of the folks who are putting these together showing through or that these are the real full-time jobs for some of these people? A little bit of both. There's definitely a desire for maintaining and monitoring your own brand. 
especially in an illicit economy where you all you have is your brand. You rely on people knowing who you are and knowing that your materials are good. If someone steals that material and puts it into a new PDF with their branding, then that's you know encroaching on your market share. As to the question of whether these are full-time jobs, in some cases, yes. You know, there are a lot of different pieces here that people can supply in this fraud economy. Think about things like contact lists. You can sell the same contact list over and over again and people will pay for it, right? You set that up and you let it just run and people will keep buying it. That's sort of a hands-off project. Set it up once, set it and forget it, effectively. Hmm. Same thing for these guides. You write these guides, maybe you need to update them. But again, you can just sort of have your listing, you can re-promote it, you can change the image, but the fundamental materials remain the same. Those are scalable operations. Hmm. Then you have things like the phishing pages, and the article mentions these. I think these are really interesting. We've seen now people develop these branded phishing pages where you can just go in, you pick the brand you want. The article mentions Apple. I've seen some major banks. I've seen some retailers who were hit with this. And you sell off the HTML and all of the information that you need to just insert and set up your phishing page, right? Your phishing page in a box. And so hmm. that takes away, you know, that sort of abstracts away a lot of the effort to get the fonts right, to get the page layout right. It's all done for you. And yes, you would need to update those as the websites get updated. You would need to adapt them. If a website is now running some sort of some new branding campaign, maybe you update it, maybe you don't. You know, it depends on what sort of user you think is going to click on these links. Are they going to notice that, you know, this new Apple phishing page doesn't have the latest iPad on it? Maybe, maybe not. You know, right. for how much money you're going to spend on it, do you really care as long as you get some success? Probably not. Yeah, that is fascinating. How much of this is, we've entered this era of kind of uh, plug and play where you don't need to have the technical sophistication to head off and, and down the path of, of doing these crimes. You can buy solutions out of the box. You can uh, you can find consultants and contractors to do some of this work for you. I also think about some of the ransomware or malware schemes that we know have these setup wizards or have these nice glossy user interfaces where you can track the success of your campaign, right? Salesforce, but for crime, right? You can see all of these metrics and you can generate these reports. This is the way that the technology is advancing, which says that the criminal market thinks that there's a demand for this. They can draw in new users, right? They can gather more market share. This is one more example in my book of how stable and resilient this fraud economy is. People are finding new ways to make it easier for customers to use their goods and services. And that should be concerning to all of us because, of course, we're going to be the ones who are receiving those phishing emails. All right. Well, Emily Wilson, thanks for joining us. Thanks. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. 
For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.